Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of brilliance. Book 5, Chapter 7 of War and Peace. What do you think is going to happen with the relationship between Boris and Helena? What do you think motivates Boris? And is he going along with Helena's plotting? Or do you think he has his own motivations? Booty Cole Boris is what I dubbed him in yesterday's episode. And I think I'm proud of that. I think I'm proud of it. Anyone have more information on these snuff boxes with portraits on them? Asks Warren Kovoffi. This has to be the fifth or sixth time I've seen them mentioned. In, yeah, they're all the rage. Whatever a snuff box is, it's in. It's in. It's what it is. It's very now. It's very cool. Um, it's very now if it's 1806. People just collected them for portraits or was it used of snuff that was prevalent. Well, I think it was the use of snuff and also, yeah, for some reason, they were just the thing to get decorated. Warren Kavoffi says, an affair is already happening and no doubt all of his high society will eventually learn of it. I'm curious as to how Pierre will react since him and Boris were friends back during the Rostov's name day celebrations before anyone deployed to Austria. Uh, I think this is just a sudden and lustful move on Helena's part. I don't think there's any long-term goals with her part of the affair. With Boris, though, who seems to be more and more like his mother as the story unfolds, he definitely has his eye on the prize. That is, some of Helena's wealth and the rising of his station. It could be. Uh, I think he's kind of... Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to get inside his head because we don't really get the a chance to. Um, <laughs> I was just looking at this username, WAP, a WAP, away. And I'm assuming WAP means war and peace and not the other more modern current usage of WAP. Uh, is he going along with Helena's plotting? Do you mean Anna's plotting, or am I a little slow? I think they are going to have an affair, at the very least. Boris isn't rich, as far as I remember, so I doubt Helena is trying the same trick with him as she did with Pierre. Angel of Dawn said, Well, the way I saw it, Anna's plotting was to get Boris to come to her party as a fun new personage to show off. Helena, on the other hand, is the one who latched onto Boris and coaxed him to come to her party and then come back for dinner, so that seems like Helena is plotting. Anna did support it, though, after Helena made the first move. Yeah, plotting, I don't know, plotting just because she likes the look of him, plotting something more sort of nefarious like what she did with Pierre. Um, You know, because I don't know how much of what happened between her and Pierre was by design, but she walked away with a fortune... You know, and which is, I don't know, like she married him, then then cheated on him and then walked away with a fortune. And for and somehow, you know, in the good graces of society, everyone saw her as the victim of Pierre. So, um, you know, it was a lot of social finesse to pull off that move. And I think it went according to plan I think that's what she wanted to do uh, we don't really we don't really know though do we if that's exactly what she wanted to happen or not um, oh. 
But now what's her plans with Boris? Does she just like the look of him? I think he's being celebrated at the moment and she likes the idea of, you know, cozying up with the guy who's being celebrated. Um, you know, his military career is going very well. Um, so, you know, she's looking to, I don't know, to absorb some of his, his uh, valor, you know, by proxy. Um, anyway, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. We might find out. Chapter 8 goes like this. The war was flaming up and nearing the Russian frontier. Oh, okay, we're back, on, we're back in the war, apparently. The war was flaming up and nearing the Russian frontier. Everywhere one heard curses on Bonaparte, the enemy of mankind. Militiamen and recruits were being enrolled in the villages, and from the seat of war came contradictory news, false as usual, and therefore variously interpreted. The life of old Prince Bolkonsky on Prince Andrew and Princess Mary had greatly changed since 1805. In 1806, the old prince was made one of the eight commanders-in-chief, then appointed to supervise the enrolment decreed throughout Russia. Despite the weakness of age which had become particularly noticeable since the time when he thought his son had been killed, he did not think it right to refuse a duty to which he had been appointed by the emperor himself, and this fresh opportunity for action gave him new energy and strength. He was continually travelling through the three provinces entrusted to him, was pedantic in the fulfilment of his duties, severe to cruel with his subordinates, and went into everything down to the minutest details himself. Princess Mary had ceased taking lessons in mathematics from her father, and when the old prince was at home went to his study with the wet nurse and little Prince Nicholas, as his grandfather called him. The baby, Prince Nicholas, lived with his wet nurse and nurse, Savishna, in the late princess's rooms, and Princess Mary spent most of the day in the nursery, taking a mother's place to her little nephew as best she could. Mademoiselle Boreen too seemed passionately fond of the boy, and Princess Mary often deprived herself to give her friend the pleasure of dandling the little angel, as she called her nephew, and playing with him. Near the altar of the church at Bald Hills there was a chapel over the tomb of the little princess, and in this chapel was a marble monument brought from Italy representing an angel with outspread wings, ready to fly upwards. The angel's upper lip was slightly raised, as though about to smile, and once, on coming out of the chapel, Prince Andre and Princess Mary admitted to one another that the angel's face reminded them strangely of the little princess. But what was still stranger, though of this Prince Andre said nothing to his sister, was that in the expression the sculptor had happened to give the angel's face. Prince Andre read the same mild reproach he had read on the face of his dead wife. Ah, why have you done this to me? Soon after Prince Andre's return, the old prince made over to him a large estate, Bogotarov, about twenty-five miles from Bald Hills, partly because of the depressing memories associated with Bald Hills, partly because Prince Andre did not always feel equal to bearing with his father's peculiarities, and partly because he needed solitude, Prince Andre made use of Bogotarov, began building and spent most of his time there. 
After the Austerlitz campaign, Prince André had firmly resolved not to continue his military service, and when the war recommenced and everybody had to serve, he took a post under his father in the recruitment so as to avoid active service. The old prince and his son seemed to have changed roles since the campaign of 1805. The old man, man, roused by activity, expected the best results from the new campaign, while Prince André, on the contrary, taking no part in the war and secretly regretting this, saw only the dark side. On February 26, 1807, the old prince set off on one of his, on one of his circuits. Prince André remained at Bald Hills, as usual, during his father's absence. Little Nicholas had been unwell for four days. The coachman, who had driven the old prince to town, returned bringing papers and letters for Prince André. Not finding the young prince in his study, the valet went with the letters to Princess Mary's apartments, but did not find him there. He was told that the prince had gone to the nursery. If you please, your excellency, Petrusha has brought some papers, said one of the nursemaids to Prince André, who was sitting on a child's little chair while frowning and with trembling hands. He poured drops from a medicine bottle into a wine glass half full of water. What is it? he said crossly, and his hand shaking unintentionally, he poured too many drops into the glass. He threw the mixture onto the floor and asked for some more water. The maid brought it. There were in the room a child's cot, two boxes, two armchairs, a table, a child's table, and a little chair on which Prince André was sitting. The curtains were drawn and a single candle was burning on the table, screened by a bound music book so that the light did not fall on the cot. My dear, said Princess Mary, addressing her brother from beside the cot where she was standing, better wait a bit later. Oh, leave off, you always talk nonsense and keep putting things off, and this is what comes of it, said Prince André in an exasperated whisper, evidently meaning to wound his sister. My dear, really, it's better not to wake him, he's asleep, said the princess in a tone of entreaty. Prince André got up and went on tiptoe up to the little bed, wine glass in hand. Perhaps you'd really better not wake him, he said, hesitating. As you please, really, I think so, but as you please, said Princess Mary, evidently intimidated and confused that her opinion had prevailed. She drew her brother's attention to the maid who was calling him in a whisper. It was the second night that neither of them had slept, watching the boy who was in a high fever. These last days, mistrusting their household doctor and expecting another for whom they had sent to town, they had been trying first one remedy and then another. Worn out by sleeplessness and anxiety, they threw their burden of sorrow on one another and reproached and disputed with each other. Petrusha has come with papers from your father, whispered the maid. Prince André went out. Devil take them, he muttered, and after listening to the verbal instructions his father had sent and taking the correspondence and his father's letter, he returned to the nursery. Well, he asked, still the same. Wait, for heaven's sake, Karl Ivanich always says that sleep is more important than anything else whispered Princess Mary with a sigh. Prince Andre went up to the child and felt him. He was burning hot. Confound you and Karl Ivanich. He took the glass with the drops and again went up to the cot. Andre, don't, said Princess Mary, but he scowled at her angrily, though also with suffering in his eyes, and stooped, glass in hand, over the infant. But I wish it, he said. I beg you, give it to him. Princess Mary shrugged her shoulders, but took the glass submissively and, calling the nurse, began 
giving the medicine. The child screamed hoarsely. Prince Andre winced and, clutching his head, went out and sat down on a sofa in the next room. He still had all the letters in his hand. Opening them mechanically, he began reading. The old prince, now and then using abbreviations, wrote in his large elongated hand on blue paper as follows. Have just seen this moment... Sorry, have just this moment received by special messenger very joyful news, if it is not false. Benigson seems to have obtained a complete victory over Bonaparte at Elio, at a I at Elau. In Petersburg, everyone is rejoicing, and the rewards sent to the army are innumerable. Though he is a German, I congratulate him. I can't make out what the commander of Korotrovo, Kor, sorry. At what the commander, I can't make out what the commander at Korchevo, a certain Kandrakov, is up to. Till now, the additional men and provisions have not arrived. Gallop off to him at once and say I'll have his head off if everything is not here in a week. Have received another letter about the Prusich Alau battle at Petenka. You took part in it, and it's all true. When mischief makers don't meddle, even a German beats Bonaparte. He is said to be fleeing in great disorder. Mind you, gallop off to Korchevo without delay and carry out instructions. Prince Andre sighed and broke the seal of another envelope. It was a closely written letter of two sheets from Bilibin. He folded it up without reading it and reread his father's letter, ending with the words gallop off to gallop off to Korchevo and carry out instructions. No part of me, I won't go now till the child is better, thought he, going to the door. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> going to the door and looking into the nursery. Princess Mary was standing by the cot, gently rocking the baby. Ah, yes. And what else did he say that's unpleasant, thought Prince Andre, recalling his father's letter. Yes, we have gained a victory over Bonaparte just when I'm not serving. Yes, yes, he's always poking fun at me. How oh, well, let him. And he began reading Bilibin's letter, which was in French. <coughs> oh. Excuse me again. <clears throat> he read without understanding half of it, read only to forget, if but for a moment, what he had too long been thinking of so painfully to the exclusion of all else. All right, that's the end of that chapter, thank God, because I feel like I'm about to do about eight more sneezes. So, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.